Welcome to the NICU Dad Podcast, a podcast for NICU dads by NICU dads. I'm Alex Zavala, a father to two preemie girls, Mia, who was born at 30 weeks, and Emerson, who was born at 27 weeks. Combined, my wife Jen and I both spent over 100 days in the NICU. After my last NICU experience, I started the NICU Dad. I did this to try and fill the gap of information and support that was lacking for NICU dads. Be sure and check out thenicudad.com and hopefully you will find it a useful resource. In this podcast, we will cover many topics that NICU parents face, but from the NICU dad's perspective. Topics such as premature birth, bereavement, PTSD, and many others. These dads who you'll hear share their stories in hope of letting other NICU dads know they are not alone. Going through a NICU stay with one baby is hard enough, but having multiples is even a more complex challenge to manage. Jeff Bradbury and his wife, Jennifer, were introduced to this delicate balancing act when they had premature triplets. Triplets who were eventually placed in two different NICUs. Jeff is here with us today to talk about his experience and how he and his wife were able to come through it. Jeff is a technology integration specialist and the creator of the TeacherCast Educational Network. More recently, Jeff has become an educational marketing coach, helping educators and ed tech companies reach their goals of raising their brand awareness. He's also a TEDx speaker. Currently, Jeff is on staff at West Rocks Middle School and Norwalk Public Schools, where he created and teaches courses in technology ed and broadcast journalism, as well as being the technology coach and webmaster while serving students in the largest inner city school district in Connecticut. Jeff, I just want to thank you and you know for taking the time out and, and doing this for us. But um, if you're ready, what uh, if you can explain to us or, or share with us what your uh, NICU journey was like and how that all started for you? Well, thank you for having me on. Um, I've got, you know, everybody's NICU experience is amazing. Everybody's NICU experience is unique. Um, I had probably one of the most interesting NICU experiences I think you're going to find because I, I actually had two. Um, my triplets were born in November. Um, their due date was supposed to be in February. So November, December, January, February, it was almost four months in the NICU, but not just one NICU. I actually had two different hospitals involved. Um, my triplets were born in November. It was not planned to be that way. And um, my wife's water broke. We went to the hospital. Kids came out right away. And that night, you know, they, they were they were 1.9 pounds, translucent, amazing little creatures. And the night that we were there, the first night, the doctors called us in and basically said, my middle one, baby B at the time, because he didn't have a name, um, needed to have a little procedure that they weren't able to do, and they needed to get some extra help. So that night, um, a helicopter from, and that was in Atlantic City, I should start with that. Um, and that night, um, an amazing helicopter came in from DuPont Children's Hospital in Delaware, swooped in, picked up baby number two, and took him away from us to DuPont Children's Hospital in, in Delaware. So my NICU experience on the first night landed me with 
two babies in the NICU in Atlantic City, one baby in the NICU in Delaware. And that was difficult because from, from, the, you know, from moment one of being a dad, your family was torn apart and you need to figure out how to support everybody, including your wife who's recovering from you know, emergency triplet C-section. And that was the start of everything. Um, baby A, baby C, were in the Atlantic City NICU from November, December, January, and came out early February. Um, baby B in Delaware was there until much longer, um, needed to be intubated for a lot longer, eventually needed to be traked, and so where, and then once he was released from Delaware, he was put into a pediatrics facility to help him get through the breathing and get the trach out, and that lasted three years. So I can say that two of my NICU experiences were about four months long, and even though it wasn't technically a NICU full-time, I didn't get my second child out until he was after three years old. Wow. Wow. So let me ask you this. So with triplets, I mean, you guys knew from, from you know, the very beginning, was it a high-risk pregnancy or anything like that? Or, you know, did leading up to that day, um, you know, I know for most dads that day usually is not expected, happens in a split second, um, you know, and usually sometimes at the most inconvenient, you know, at the, the worst possible times that you're not planning for it. Was that the same way in, in your case? I think anytime you've got triplets, it's high risk. I think anytime you're um, trying to, to make sure that things are good, you're, you're at a high risk. Um, we were born at 25 weeks and five days, and I remember very clearly asking the doctor if it was a week earlier, would they be alive? And the answer was probably, which is important because the he didn't say yes. He said probably. Right. And then I had to ask him if we were here five years earlier, at 25 weeks, would the would the kids be alive? And the and the doctor said, I don't think so. So you talk about being at the right place at the right time and also in the right part of history, and I'm a very lucky person. Um, compi- compound that with the fact that they were born in Atlantic City. They weren't supposed to be. They were supposed to be born in, in, in a little bit north in, in New Jersey, right, near, right around near Philadelphia. And mm-hmm. every time my wife and I went in for testing, they had – I'll call it one strap around her to, to, to check one heartbeat at a time. Um, when we got to the hospital in Atlantic City, they put three straps on her to check three heartbeats at a time. So one might also say we happened to be in the right spot at the right time with the right hospital because they were ready for it. Mm-hmm. This also happened around 6 or 7 o'clock in the evening, and it was a shift change. So we actually had 15 doctors ready to go because some of them were leaving and some of them were getting there. That was an amazing miracle. And also the fact that a week before they had another triplet birth. And so they were all ready to go and they knew exactly what to do and how to do it. So 
in many cases, we're extremely, extremely lucky. Um, everybody in the NICU has halos on. Everybody in the NICU has wings. They were amazing to us, um, letting us come in at all hours, and obviously understanding that we were between NICUs. And we were also 60 or 70 miles away from each of the NICUs. So, you know, it took almost two hours sometimes to go see your kid. And, you know, you'll never forget you're driving down these dark roads to get to Atlanta Care Hospital in, 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 in Egg Harbor Township, and I hit a deer. It's amazing, right? But you're wow. going to go get your kid. And um, everybody that ever steps foot into that NICU has, you know, they've got a little halo over top of them. So take me back to those, that moment. Um, that moment that you get the call, um, where the water breaks. Um, you know, when, when the wheels start going in motion and everything, where everything stops and your life changes, uh, what was that like and what, what was that situation like for you guys? It wasn't quite the Ricky, Ricardo, and Lucy moment where you come and you practice, you know. The time has come. Go into action, right? Um, and it wasn't quite when, when Ricky and Fred bump into each other because of all the craziness that's happening. Um, we were in Atlantic City. It was during the teachers' convention, and I was broadcasting as a podcaster. I was giving professional development to 20,000 teachers. My wife calls says, I'm over in the, in, in the, in the hotel, um, you need to come on over here. And so once I realized exactly what that sentence means, um, I was very fortunate to have many teachers kick me out of the convention center. They piled up all of my stuff. I actually gave away my car. I gave my keys away, and I gave away all of my broadcasting equipment to these, to these total strangers. They said, we'll take care of it all. And that was, that was awesome. Um, I ran over to the hotel. I called 911. Stretcher came up. Um, bathroom was a mess, but this is what happened. And it was very, it all just kind of happened like a ballet, right? Stretcher comes up. She's on. We're out. Hospital. Uh, here we go. Um, I will tell you, anybody who's in this position, the number one thing that you absolutely need with you is your phone charger. And I never took that. I, I was more worried about my wife than the phone charger. So, you know, you're, you're, you're trying to deal with everything, calling everybody, making sure that your stuff's okay, making sure your kids are okay, all of these wonderful things. And, you know, it took about maybe 45 minutes before we realized at the hospital, this is it the hospital was going to pack us back up and send us to a Philadelphia hospital um, an hour away. But luckily that didn't happen. And so everything happened when it needed to, where it needed to. And, and thankfully the kids were as safe as they could be. And my wife was as safe as they could be. Um, but you, you never forget those moments where you're like, oh, okay, I'll come over later. And she's like, no, no, no. Now was when you need to come over. This is happening. And, of course, I'm sitting at the Atlantic City Convention Center with all these people going, no, I'm teaching right now. <laughs> She's just like, no, you need to come now. Um, so let me ask you this. Um, and, uh, so you guys get to the hospital. 
um, you know, they were going to send you off. Now, you know, babies are coming. Were you, did they put you in surgery with, with your wife? I was in there. They, they, they were very nice. They told me to sit down and I did. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm not one, you know, it was, it was a C-section. So uh, I, I knew not to look. Um, I don't do well <laughs> with those things. But yeah. uh, baby A came out and didn't make a sound. That was scary. Uh, baby B came out, didn't make a sound. Baby C came out and splat all over the floor. And, you know, everything inside just kind of fell out. And then, you know, you, you start to listen and they start asking questions like, why aren't they breathing? Why aren't they this? And you're, you're watching these miracle workers literally put life back into your kids. Um, kind of emotional kind of amazing and you you know the word thank you is just not enough sometimes but you're sitting here watching this ballet between all of these medical professionals who again they did it already a week before they knew exactly what to do when to do it how to do it and where to put each kid and and everybody was you know it it just happened way too fast so i'm i'm assuming and tell me if i'm wrong I'm assuming that they took her into surgery and then kind of prepped you um, before they took you in there. Is is that what happened with yes. you guys? Or yes, they, so, they 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 got her ready. They brought me in. Right. They gave me the chair, and next thing I know, um, here we go. So, in those moments, sitting in that chair, what was that like for you? And what were some of the thoughts that were going through your head? I didn't have any. Um, uh, my, my wife and I are both musicians, so I remember singing a lot of Beethoven to myself just because what else can you do? Um, I, I, I also have a very wicked and twisted sense of humor, and I just kept saying to myself, don't say anything because <laughs> I, I, I know that when, when I get nervous about things, I start to provide commentary with, you know, totally harmless commentary, but sometimes words come out the wrong way. Um, yeah. So I just, I remember holding her hand, dealing with it, and, and, you know, at the end of the day, there we were. And just making sure, you know, all you want to do is you want to hear three, three kids crying at the same time. And ironically, they haven't, they haven't stopped crying at the same time in the last <laughs> six years. Uh, but that's that's a, another part of the, the podcast here. Um, so babies are born. Um, finally, everyone starts crying, or yes, all of us. So once the babies are born, what's going through your head? How are you feeling? How's mom doing? Well, I was more worried that my phone was dying because I knew that everybody else was a professional and was taking care of things. So. I was only able to worry about the, the one thing I couldn't control, which was nice. Um, Mom made it out fine. She was awesome. Um, you know, they, they, they did whatever they needed to do with her. Um, at that time, all three kids were together. We didn't have names for them because it was four months early. Yeah. So, you know, you, you do what you're told to do. You know, you count fingers, and, you know, I, I got to 11 fingers, 11 fingers, and 10 fingers, and that's all I needed to hear. 
Did you kind of expect them to look the way that they did? Or, you know, what was that like the first time you laid eyes on, on your babies? They were translucent. That's the only word that I can look at. They were, they were 1.9, 1.8 pounds. And you, you quickly learn what a half-size diaper is. And the fact that a half-size diaper is nine times too big for your kid. And so over time, you know, you watch them grow into a half-size diaper. But when you can see their lungs, when they don't open their eyes yet, um, when they don't, you know, they're not fully formed, and really they're, they're just heads with appendages underneath of them. You know, their spine isn't ready to go. Um, you don't know what to think other than are they breathing? And that's the end of the story. I think I remember the first night asking the doctors if they're going to graduate from college because you just want to make sure that everything is working correctly. Right, right. So you guys, babies are stable for the most part, correct? Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, what, what's the next step in that with, with you guys and, and being in that hospital and being away from home, what was that like in those first, really, those first 72 hours? What were those like for you? Um, you have to figure out all of your vitals. You know, number one, uh, oh, I'm taking paternity much earlier than expected. You know, I'm, we're, we're both teachers. So she certainly wasn't ready to go out on maternity leave. I certainly wasn't ready for either of us to go out on a maternity leave. I don't even remember if we had all of our paperwork and stuff signed. But suddenly, you know, you start thinking about, well, I have class on Monday. What are we going to do? And you do that, those phone calls. Of, uh, and again, cell phones dying on you. You're calling all <laughs> of your parents to see if you can have them drive all the way down. You're trying to play phone tag. And again, your phone's dying. All, the, you know, all these different things, and you can just see your vital signs running down. Um, again, that night, we, we figured out that Christopher, or baby B, had to go to Delaware. That was an amazing event. And now you're trying to figure out, well, when, can I, when is it safe for me to leave my wife and two kids to go mm-hmm. see my kid? And, you know, you have to figure out how to do all those things. You know, the last thing you want to do is you want to drive 150 miles to go see your kid. And so uh, there's just a lot, of, a lot of things that you need to figure out, a lot of things you need to put together. Um, luckily, a lot of people were doing things for us because of the situation, and mostly they just tell you to relax, and, and we've got this. And all you can do is you trust and figure out that, that you are not in control of your life right now. And that's a good thing because you don't want to be. You want everybody to do what they need to do, and your job is not to micromanage the, the professionals. Your job is to ask, are they breathing? And when the answer comes back, yes, you take a breath. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you guys, Baby B was taken that evening, correct? Baby B was taken that evening. There was an issue, I'm going to probably get this wrong, where there was extra air in his lungs, mm-hmm. and they couldn't fix it at the hospital. And so... Um, they needed to rush him to, to DuPont, 
which was, you know, again, luckily was the sister hospital. And these amazing people came and, and took them and they fixed them and put them back together again. And, and, you know, between DuPont Children's Hospital and, and Voorhees Pediatrics Facility, they raised my kid for three years. And so even, you know, which, which causes even more problems because in February, now you have two infants and you're supposed to go into the NICU to go see your third one. Well, you can't do that. Right. So what do you do? And at some, you know, there, there was a point in time where Atlantic Care Hospital A was saying, we're ready for you to take the kid. And we were saying, no, hold on to them. We're not ready to take them out yet because we were still trying to get our, our stuff together between work and school and, and dealing with another hospital and all of these different things. And so it was, uh, you know, on one hand, nobody wants to keep their kid in the NICU. On the other hand, we actually had to strike a deal with the hospital that says, can we keep them here in the hospital for another couple of days? Because it would just help out everybody in the long run. And they kept saying, like, no, they're only allowed in hospitals if they're sick and meet these qualifications. Your kids can go home. Please take them. And we're like, no, we need to have them here for another two days. And it was all due to work and everything else going on. So there was a lot that people just had to help us out with. And, you know, extraordinary situations with, with triplets and all this other stuff. So we're very happy and very thoughtful and very thankful for everything that's happened. Absolutely. So now let me ask you this, um, you know, just on the dad side here, you've got one baby in one hospital, your other two babies in, in the one, the hospital there and, and your wife healing. Um, I take it you're the first one that went to Delaware. Yes. And about how many days or how long did it take to finally be able to get to that point to where you could go out there. You know what I mean? Like I needed I mean, to go the next day because I needed okay. to find the kid in. Yeah. Right. Wow. So you, 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 you figure you're now leaving everything that you know, and you're going to this completely strange place. And, you know, I call it the Emerald city because they're just miracle workers there. And it's, I, I would not have triplets right now without that place. But, um, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, you, you had to go right away, and then you had to go back. And, again, with the way that the roads worked, you drive 60 miles into Philadelphia and then 60 miles down to Delaware. There was no road that connects the two. Um, so it was a lot of driving from moment one. And I think I remember I still needed to go to work that week because I wasn't, I wasn't planning to take paternity leave. I wasn't planning to take off. Um, I was trying to save all of my sick days and my FMLA or paternity, whatever you want to call it. I was saving that so that way mathematically I had enough days between February and the end of the school year. So in addition to dealing with two kids and a wife here and another kid down here, I was also driving to be a teacher every day for a while while I was trying to take care of all the dad stuff at home and in the hospitals because I needed to get myself to a certain date in February where if I could then become dad, then I would have off the rest of the year. If not, I'd have to like come back to school with like three days left in the summertime. It was mm. some, some math problem like that. That's why I was like, 
no, you need, to, you need to keep the kids three more days. And if you don't, I need to go to work on June 8th, 9th, and 10th. Like, if you help me out now, I don't have to come back to work until September with the summertime off. And so everybody was very, very nice to us with all of those things and kind of, kind of understood what the situation was. But it wasn't easy. And obviously, you know, triplets, they helped us out with because it's ridiculous. You know, you, you're, you're going down there and – First of all, you know what happens when you have triplets. You have to buy a van. And then you don't buy one crib. You buy three. And so, you know, dealing with all the expenses that comes after the triplets come and dealing with all the expenses that come while the triplets are happening and all the, you know, everything else since, it's just an amazing experience. And, and you don't get a chance to turn around and look backwards because there's always something coming up, coming up ahead of you. And clearly that was from moment one. We didn't have a chance to sleep that first night because, well, there's a helicopter coming. Your kid's leaving you. So I can honestly say I haven't slept in six and a half years. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say that that was my next question was that first week and doing all this driving and still going to work and shuffling everything. Um, you know, we all know for Nikki dad's, you know, pretty much once that call comes in that the water, you know, your wife's water broke, our switch gets turned on and it's, you know, fight or flight and we're on. And right. so I want to ask how that grind was for you trying to push to make those dates at work for February and, and just what that was like. And if it took a toll on you, um, you know, I know we always, you know, most dads are like, hey, I have to do what I have to do. But but really, you know, what was that like for you? You don't have plan B. And that's the only thing. Um, one of the most important things I needed to do was to get to Delaware so I could video conference back to my wife and so she could see the kid. And that was really all I was worrying about was, we, we need to make sure everybody's okay. We need to do whatever's possible. And if that means driving back and forth a couple of times a week, okay. And then we had the times where she would go to one place, I'd go to the other place, and we would just video conference on each other. And we would be dealing, you know, we have to meet all the different doctors. You have to know who to do things. You have to understand how NICUs work. You have to know who to talk to, who to sweet talk. And you have to know what you can say and what you can't say. And luckily, as teachers, we're, we're kind of used to talking around the subject, not talking on the subject. And so we were able to help out with that. And, um, and yeah, there's just a lot there. So there's usually a point, um, you know, with the, a lot of dads that I've talked to, Nikki dads, um, there's usually that point where it finally hits you or you have your little breakdown moment. Um, you know, whether it's when you finally get your babies home um, or, you know, there's usually sometimes in the car when you're by yourself. Um, do you have any moments like that? You can't. Um, not that I say I haven't. But you can't because there's always something else. Um, 
I've been fortunate enough to have an opportunity to talk about this on various things. Um, I have my own podcasting network. My, my listeners know all about the kids. They, we call them the edu triplets, edu triplets. Um, so from moment one, everybody knew that they were coming. Everybody knew that they were around. Everybody at the convention center knew that they were there. Um, and so, you know, um, at the time I was running a, a five-person podcast, and, you know, they, they let me have a night where I just talked and they just answered. So that was my therapy. Um, a year or so later, I had the opportunity to give a TED Talk, and the, the kids were the topic of my 18-minute speech. And I'm hoping one day I'll, I'll do a second round of that with now that, you know, now that the cycle has been completed, basically, because they're all home, of course. Um, I generally don't allow myself to take that breath because there's always something going on. And I don't know if that's healthy or not, but um, <laughs> it, it, I, I, I generally yeah. just have way too many roller coasters hitting me to sit and take a step. But there are times where I kind of get introverted and go, okay, what just happened? Or, okay, what was the last six months like? Um, but as soon as you say that to yourself, you realize that the roller coaster isn't over yet, and they're right there giving you hugs. So deal with what's in front of you. Always deal with what's in front of you. Yes. And there's so, times I look, I look at my kid, and I just want to give, you know, I want to give him the old, you know, Homer Simpson to Bart Simpson hug, <laughs> right? And you realize, mm -hmm. nope, that kid made it through three years of the NICU and, th and tracheotomy and all these wonderful, horrible things. I'm going, and, and he just wants a hug for me, right? So stop getting mad at the kid. Yeah, I hear you. So, you know, with, with your guy's situation, it's, you know, like you said in the beginning where we, you know, have these incredible stories and, you know, but there's also some similarities in, in stories. And, I mean, obviously you guys having basically two NICU stays at the same time, um, is, is something, you know, huge. What was that like um, once your, your, your first babies came home and then, you know, just still having a baby in the hospital for those, those three years, um, you know, what, what was that like? Did it take a toll on everybody or, um, you know, did it make it to where you, Describe, you know, did you basically just not take a breath for three years? Six. I haven't taken a breath in mm -hmm. six years. <laughs> um, it, you, you can't, right? Because there's always something going on. And, and this, this, isn't, this isn't anti or pro anything, but when you're working with two different hospital systems, You've got two different vocabularies. You've got two different mm -hmm. doctors. You've got, well, you've got more than two different doctors, right? Um, and, and, and you've got so many different rules, and you've got security. You know, we, you know, we, we had rules of only, only we could call and talk to the doctors. Like, you know, like grandparents, aunts, uncles, like these people are not allowed to call and ask the doctor a question. And so we had to play the game of from the, from the relatives. Why can't I just jump in and go see them? I'm, I'm free tomorrow. Why can't I just go down and see the kid? Well, because that's not part of the rules. 
You need yeah. to understand how the game works. And the game is I'm in charge of this one. I'm the driver. And, and so you're, you're, you're working not only with what you can control, but what you can't control. And sometimes what you can't control is three months old. And sometimes what you can't control is your siblings. And you have all of these different family dynamics. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that if you take your foot off the gas, you, you sometimes can't put it back on. And, yeah, I remember, you know, you, you call the wrong hospital and you ask for the right doctor. <laughs> because you, cause, cause your mind is just flustered, right? Yeah. Or you're trying so hard to write down all the different notes and you're learning terminologies and you're learning about diseases and, 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 and medical treatment and all of these different things. And again, this hospital calls it one way and this hospital calls it something completely different, but they're both right. And, um, you know, again, you can only have one parent at a NICU at a time because you've got two little ones at home that you are not allowed into the hospital. I mean, it was yeah. a treat when we could actually bring A and C into Delaware to see B because now for the first time, I mean, it took us five or six months, I think, to actually get a family picture together where everybody could be in the room at the same time. That was a big deal. Wow. Yeah. And we, you know, we had to get special permission for that and, you know, because, because it's just a different situation. Um, you know, they'll let you bring your six or eight year old in, but they're not letting you bring your four month old into a hospital. That's right. So there's a lot of, there's a lot to go through. Um, the, the best friend that we had was Google photos. You know, we probably have over a million photos of all the kids and all the different spots in their lives. And you know, Google photos is free. So it's wonderful. Um, but no, we were, we were constantly video back and forthing and photo back and forthing and all that wonderful stuff. And, um, those people are amazing. I'll, I'll never stop saying that. Those people are all amazing. And then I take it, you know, with, with every situation or most situations, um, you know, even after everybody comes out of the NICU, there's still, you know, medical things and doctor's visits and surgeries. Um, things like that. Did you guys experience that also? So Christopher was tricked um, March, April or so. So, you know, six, technically six months old, technically three months old, depending on how you want to look at things. Um, and and, and they, 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 they needed to do it. And I, I totally broke down that day because I had to put a hole in my kid's throat, right? And I, I'm reminded of that decision every day that I see him because there it is. Um, although he's, you know, he's been, he's been fine. He's, he's perfect now, but you know, it's still there. Um, and then from there he went to a, a pediatric medical facility. And just like I said, we happened to be at the right hospital at the right time at the right doctors at the right shift change and all those things. Um, the largest pediatric medical facility just happened to be nine miles from our house and they specialize in trach babies. Of all the places in the country, this is where we were. And so luckily, for for years, he was living nine miles away from us. And we could go see him, you know, technically whenever we needed to. It was only nine miles, I should say, that way. But they took care of him. They taught him how to eat. They taught him how to speak. They taught him how to walk. Like, we missed all those milestones with him. Even though we were there every, every you know, almost every day, 
you still are, you know, you still have a, you know, a one-year-old, two one-year-olds, and you're, you've got this going on. So you're, you know, you're missing all of these major milestones in one of your kids, but at the same time, you've got two of your own. And so everybody says, how does it feel raising triplets? For three years, my answer was, I don't know. I only have two. Somebody else has my one. And those are, that's a, that's a difficult thing. Cause now you have to, you know, now in front of that stranger, you have to relive your entire history, right? Like you have to go through that <laughs> story or you just go, it's wonderful. And then they look at you crazy. Like, what do you mean? It's wonderful having triplets. Um, but there's, there's a lot that goes into all of that. And, um, you know, obviously I wish we were raising triplets, but it turns out for three years we were raising two plus one, which was hard. It's hard to walk yeah. away from your kid and leave him in a hospital when he's two years old. It's hard to go on vacation and see all these things. And, you know, now that we're getting to the age of reason, I'm sure he's started asking questions. He hasn't asked me the questions yet, but, you know, like where, you know, oh, he has asked me the question. Where am I in that picture? Well, how much do you want to talk about at six years old? Yeah, yeah. And I have a six-year-old myself. I know exactly <laughs> those questions do come. And, and, yeah, they're definitely thinking about all that stuff. Um, wow. That's an incredible story. It's all true. Um, I have two babies with a rare medical disease called P10. I have one baby with cerebral palsy. So I have premature special education triplets. And we work together every single day the best that we can. They're the love of my life. They're the pains in my neck. And <laughs> I love nothing more than turning them upside down and tickling them. Every go. single chance that I get. And, you know, they are on Twitter. They are the edu triplets. You can find them at edutriplets.com. If you want to reach out and tweet to them, they, they like that. But I always say, don't be surprised if they don't return your message because I tell them not to talk to strangers. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so, Jeff, let me ask you this. Uh, what advice, what are some of the most, you know, key points that you would give, advice that you would give to a, a current NICU dad or even someone who's just gone into the NICU or also those guys that have been in there for, you know, a few months? What kind of advice would you, would you offer them? Bring a phone charger. Every <laughs> single time, bring a phone charger. Um, those people are amazing. Those people are angels. Those people have wings. Treat them as such. And that's the only advice I could give. I'd say the same thing about teachers too, by the way. But, but treat those people wonderful. They are taking care of your kid the best that they know how especially in current times, they're taking care of your kid in the middle of a pandemic. They're giving your kid everything that they possibly can, and that's life, right? So they, th- those people will work for you. They'll bend over for you. They will do everything possible to make you happy. And, and really, when you talk to those people, they say dealing with the kid is the easiest thing. Dealing with the parents is the hardest thing because the kid's going to do whatever the, whatever the NICU doctor says. The parents are the ones that really need the education, the time, the comforting, the, the, you know, 
the shoulder to cry on, all those different things. So um, ask all of the questions. Don't ever think that you're asking too many questions because, you know, it's just like being a teacher. I worry about the parents that don't bother me. You know, the ones that do bother me about everything, I don't care about. They, they want to learn. They want to help out their kids. And it's the same thing in the NICU. If you're just going in and not caring, those are the, ones, those are the parents that those people question. Why aren't you asking questions? Why aren't you trying to take your kid out of here? Why aren't you looking for the best care? So ask as many questions as possible. And I will also give the teacher answer of get the answers from them. Don't get the answers from Google because that's some of the worst things that you can do is you can, you know, you hear a word from them and you go and immediately you Google search it and then suddenly your mind is filled with amazing things that have nothing to do with your child. Get the information from the doctor directly and dare I say only from the doctor directly. Do you have any advice for couples? I mean, you and your wife sound, you know, like an incredible team. Um, and going through everything that you guys have and still do, um, any advice for, for couples or partners? Check in with each other every day. How you doing? And whether that be then or now, every day, how you doing? Are you okay? How are we doing with things? Right? Um, your life is consumed. We all know that. But just every day, just, 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 Five seconds, check in. Are you okay? Every, every, you know, even, even, even Peyton Manning needed to huddle once, once every drive and just check in with his guys and go, are we okay here? Let's keep going. And so just that's the only advice I can say. Don't take advice from parents. Don't take advice from grandparents. Don't take advice from family. You make your decisions based off of everything that's in your gut. And that's the only way that you can handle all this because nobody else is going through what you're going through. Your parents were parents. Your parents are parents. But your parents aren't sitting in the two NICUs with triplets and dealing with doctors and, and genetic diseases and tracheotomies and, and hospitals. No one's dealing with all of that stuff except for you. So have a support group. Check in with each other. But only you can make those decisions. Well, that is some great advice. Well, Jeff, I appreciate you sharing your story. I appreciate the advice and the insight that you have. It's an incredible story. Um, love seeing pictures of the kids, and we'll definitely follow them on social media. But just want to thank you for being here and, and for all that you do and for, you know, putting this out there and, and speaking about, you know, your story and, and the Nikki dad perspective also. Um, we really appreciate it. I'm glad that there's a show out there. Um, I wish something like this existed a couple years ago um, because it would have been great to be listening to, and I hope people are listening to shows like this as they're driving to their NICUs or from their NICUs. Or, you know, and I hope that if you're listening to this and you have a story to share, reach out, get onto this show, share your story because there's only one way to get through this, and that's together. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. Once again, please take a look at the NICUdad.com. We continue to grow the list of resources we are bringing NICU dads. To my fellow NICU dads, good luck, and remember, you are not alone.